and welcome to another episode of Audie's Oddities. As always, my name is Audie and I'm here to tell you about the spooky, scary shit happening in our world. I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to call this episode yet, but today I want to tell you three different stories about three different kids who all went missing and turned up alive. So listen, this is actually like somewhat happy stories today. Sometimes we cover things and you're like, oh shit, they die. That's like awful and horrible. Nah, these are the good stories today. All these people lived. I might call this episode Lost Kids Who Are Found, something like that, but buckle in. You know what you're here for. Let's get going. Right before we do, though, I just want to say thank you to the amount of people who reached out to me just to talk to me about my cats. I'm glad that you appreciate them as much as I do. And if you need more cat content in your life, make sure to follow me on Instagram because you will see plenty of photos of all of my furry friends. All right, let's get into this. We're going to start off with the Riker Webb story. This is a story that I wanted to do a full episode on. There just isn't enough material to make a full episode. So I decided to take his story with two other people's and make one big episode of Kids Being Found. So we're going to start off with him. Riker Webb was only three years old when on July 3rd of 2022, he went missing for three whole days. He was in the backyard playing with his father and the dog when the father walked inside, leaving the toddler outside on his own, and when the father returned, the kid was gone. The kid had a habit of really enjoying bugs in nature and whatnot, so he would turn over rocks and flat objects, I guess, to look for bugs, and they didn't live too far from a wooded tree line, so they assumed that he walked into the woods. At about 3 p.m., police get a phone call, not from Riker's parents, from the neighbor. The neighbor is calling to let them know that this toddler has been missing for two hours. They try and get a description from this neighbor about what Riker is wearing, but after talking to Riker's parents and the neighbors and other witnesses, nobody knows for sure what this kid was wearing. Honestly, I feel like if you're dressing your child like a toddler, you're gonna remember what you dressed your kid in that day. And listen, I'm no parent, but I feel like it's very important to know what your kids are wearing. I've heard so many stories about people who don't care about your name. You know, stop calling the kid's name when a kid gets lost. You can't just say Riker, Riker. You start saying blue pants, white shirt, blue pants, white shirt. Somebody is going to find that kid way faster than just saying the kid's name. So you've got to know what the kid is wearing. So I was thinking about this when the police said that no description really matched throughout all these people. How did nobody know exactly what this kid was wearing? And to be fair, maybe the parent that dressed him did know, but the other stories of people not knowing what he looked like made them believe that nobody knew. But still, I mean, damn. And also, do you know how pissed I would be if I knew for a fact that my kid was dressed in something and other people were saying otherwise? I'd be like, no, 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 I know. Don't you say that this isn't true. I know exactly what blue shirt I put him in. So they send out search teams and search dogs to look for the kids, but that night and the next couple nights would have heavy thunderstorms and fogs and conditions that make it really difficult to live in, let alone find somebody in, let alone finding a small three-year-old toddler in the woods who, it's not like an adult when you're calling out to somebody who's going to respond. They're three. You don't know if they're going to respond, and if they do, you don't know if they're loud enough to hear them. Also, apparently, the woods behind the family's house was a very, like, unkept area. It's not like this was some lush forest or some shit. This was, like, briars and high grass and just areas that you can't really get to easily. Add a cherry on top of all of this. It was below freezing every single night that Riker was out there. 
Along with the search teams, the police have notified every neighbor within a mile radius to look out for Riker. But it wouldn't be until July 6th, three days later, that Riker was found after 53 people were still out looking for him. He was found by a couple who were not part of the search team looking for him when they heard a cry coming from a nearby shed. Inside the shed, they found a tiny three-year-old Riker had curled up inside of a lawn mowing bag, presumably to keep warm. But this shed was two and a half miles away from where this kid's house was. And not only that, but later on, I forget who exactly it was, but there was some survivalist who went to this spot and tried to walk this two and a half miles like this toddler would have. And this grown ass man who is always in the wilderness, like constantly hiking, had trouble getting there, let alone a three-year-old toddler. A photograph of Riker was shared when he initially went missing on the internet so that if anyone saw him, obviously, they would call it in. Keep in mind, this was fairly recent in 2022. So Amber Alerts, all that, they existed and they went out. And when Riker was found and placed into the ambulance, another photo was taken of him. And he looks a lot different in this photo. So different to the point that people are saying that this is not the same child. Now I'm going to go ahead and stop you there before you think that this is the wrong kid. They did do DNA testing later on to confirm it was Riker and have confirmed it is Riker. But this photograph shows the shell-shocked, terrified face of this small child. It's truly one of those photos that just kind of haunts you on the inside. But one of the scariest things about him being turned up like this is that Riker was in clothing that he was not in when he left and he has never owned. He was found in a blue onesie that had been kind of cut up in random areas, and it was clearly scuffed up and dirty as if this kid had been out in the rain for a long time. So this toddler is three at this time. He has some words, you know. So the police tried to ask him, what happened to you, you know? And Riker says that he just walked away and then got tired. And currently the parents are still being investigated on child negligence and endangerment charges. But I would like to say that because this kid showed up two and a half miles away after taking a trail that does not seem possible and showing up in clothes that are not his, my theory is somebody took this kid. Somebody took this kid from the backyard and after seeing all of the people trying to find him and whatnot, got cold feet and placed him in this shed to be found. And you cannot convince me otherwise. Now, this is my own personal theory. Please take it with a grain of salt. This is from my own brain, not any source of anything. And to this day, one of the family members still posts about Riker ever so often. And he's a little bit older now. He's only four and a half or five at this point. But they'll ask him, what did you do? What happened? And he just says that he walked into the woods and that's all he remembers. I did also find another instance where he possibly was talking about some kind of guardian over him. Some people believe it might have been a guardian angel over this child for the next three days. I don't know. What do you guys think? I want to hear what you think about this one. We are going to move on to our next story, victim. We're going to say victim because they're a child. And specifically in this one, we're going to say victim. You'll understand why soon. We are going to talk about 14-year-old Natasha Ryan. Natasha was an Australian woman who went missing in August of 1998. 
Her mom dropped her off at school that morning, but then school called her mom saying, hey, your kid isn't here. She has absence. And her mom was like, bitch, I just dropped her off there. What are you talking about? And seemingly Natasha would go missing for the next five years. Now, there isn't a whole lot about the next five years of them searching for her or a case investigating it or whatnot, but I did find a couple things that I found interesting. The most interesting to me is that her best friend was blamed for her kidnap slash murder possibly at the time. Now, I'm not going to put her name on blast because she was underage at the time and she didn't do anything, so there's no reason for that. But I do think that it's funny that she was looked at for this. So because it's been so many years, they are assuming that Natasha is dead. And they end up arresting a serial killer, Leonardo Frazier, on other charges and try to connect her case with his. Natasha's trial would be held on April 11th, 2003, where Frazier said that he was not guilty. As this trial is going on, the police get a tip to go check out this guy Scott's house. So when Natasha went missing at 14, two weeks prior to going missing, she had ran away from home for a couple days and stayed at her pedophile boyfriend's house, Scott, because he was 22 years old. So we are calling him a pedophile and not a boyfriend, just FYI. Because all the articles just want to call it her 22-year-old boyfriend. Mm -mm, Honey, she's 14, 22, that is a pedophile. So now five years later, police are getting another tip that somebody saw Natasha inside of Scott's house and immediately go and raid his place. And on April 10th of 2003, one day before Frazier would go on trial for her murder, Natasha is found alive and healthy inside of Scott's house, hiding in a cupboard in their bedroom. Now 19 years old, she doesn't care as much that police have found her, but for the past Four and a half, almost five years, she has been willingly hiding in this man's home. And in order to keep her existence hidden, that foresaid cupboard was just like her little hidey hole whenever Scott's friends or family would come to visit. And to make sure that absolutely nobody would see her, she would keep the curtains drawn whenever family wasn't around, so that way she could walk around the house freely. And you might be asking, well, she couldn't have just lived in the house for five years, right? Oh, no, don't worry. She went out. At night, we hear about actual beach dates happening at midnight so that way nobody could ever see her face clearly. So the court doesn't really care and are like, we're just going to proceed with him probably killing her anyway, even though you just found her alive. So it wouldn't be until April 30th when Natasha shows up at her own murder trial to testify that, hey, bitch, I'm alive. This trial can't happen. And since she testified, the trial was dropped. Scott would later serve a three-year sentence, not on any pedophilia charges, which is ridiculous, but instead because he lied about Natasha's whereabouts. And don't worry, Natasha didn't get off either. In 2006, she was found guilty of causing a false police investigation and was fined $1,000. But police prosecutor Terry Gardner produced a $120,000 contract that Natasha had signed claiming that Natasha had somewhat enough money to pay back the $151,000 that investigators spent trying to find her when she wasn't missing. However, the judge ruled that Natasha did not have the funds to pay back for the investigation, and later after being convicted was charged a total of $3,000, but I believe is going to have to pay somewhere closer to sixteen. dollars Can you imagine your kid running away from you at 14 years old and you not realizing that they're still alive 
until five years later. Talk about a bad mother-daughter relationship. All right, this one hits close to home because it's literally happened less than two hours away from where I live. Don't you love it whenever you find a case in the state that you live in? It just feels that much creepier. This is the case of Gregory Jean Jr. Gregory was only 13 when his father and stepmother kidnapped him from Gregory's birth mother. They kidnapped him from his home in Florida and brought him back to their home in Georgia. After four years of hiding Gregory in their home, the father gave Gregory a cell phone for, you know, talking to his friends, going to school, whatnot. And Gregory builds up the courage to call his mother. He starts texting his family members about where he is and trying to get them to contact police to save him. I learned later on in the investigation that apparently when police were initially called, it was because he was being abused heavily. So I can't imagine this kid's fear and imagine what he has to tell his family in order to call police for him. So his birth mom in Florida calls the police in Georgia to go check out this house where Gregory has texted his sister the address of the house and a picture of it. And he's told her where they hide him, which is in the attic above the garage that you can only access by a false panel inside of a linen closet. So it's not like they weren't trying to hide him. So there's screenshots of the text between him and his sister that are just heartbreaking, where he's hearing the police come, he's hearing his stepmom lie about him, saying that he's in New York and not even in the state. And this poor 13-year-old boy hears the police leave. He's assumed that the police are gone for good and he doesn't know what to do. So he starts texting his sister again, please tell them to come back. So the mom makes a second call like, that boy is in that attic. I don't know what you're doing. Go and get him out. And thankfully, the police officer had this initial fear. So he kind of just did one of those, like, I'm gonna drive around the block and then come back to make you feel safe. So hopefully the little boy comes out. And while he was driving around the block to then come back was when they got the second phone call for him to go into the house. And once they had that second call, there were several police officers that showed up and rescued Gregory. Now, Gregory Jean, who is the father... The son is named after him, so we're just going to say the father. The father and the stepmother, Samantha Davis, are both on trial currently for false imprisonment, child cruelty, and obstruction charges. Suck it, bitch. And when they did rescue Gregory, they did discover signs of physical abuse all over him, which it, it warrants my suck it, bitch, okay? And today, Gregory has been reconnected with his family in Florida and seems to be living a happy life. God, I needed this episode, you guys. We've been talking about so many haunted dolls, so many murders. I just needed a good episode. But don't get too comfortable because I'll be back Monday with some real shitty murders, y'all. If you enjoyed this episode and you like hanging out with me, make sure that you hit that follow button and you hit the notification bell so that you get a notification every time I post a new episode, which is every Monday and Thursday. And please, please, I'm going to beg you this time. Please leave me five stars wherever you listen to me and write a little review if you want. I promise I read them. I promise I post them. And I promise they all make me cry. Okay? I appreciate all of you to the bottom of my heart. As always, my name is Audie and this has been Audie's Oddities.